This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tip industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. So on the podcast today, I have Andy Turnus, who I'm sure many of you know, if have not heard of. Andy's been in the hot tub industry for a long time. He founded Thermospas, right? You're the founder of Thermospas. Yes, also started the International Hot Tub Organization and now Hot Tub Products. So I know a little bit about your personal background and how you got into the hot tub industry. Well, at least your background, you started an alternative newspaper, but where did you, have you always been on the East Coast? You're in Connecticut, right? Yeah, I grew up in Connecticut. Basically, the business was in Connecticut, and, and all of my businesses have been here in Connecticut. Did you go to college in that area, or did, are you, did you not go uh, to school? What did you, what did you, what's the <laughs> there? I, I went to college for about four years, and I changed the uh, schools. I was uh, originally at Southern Connecticut University, and okay. then I went to engineering up in Lowell Tech for about a year. But that was back when colleges were like $50 a semester, $100 for the whole year, right. if you went to a state school. So that was attractive, especially when you were paying for it, you know? But it was great school, had a good time, but I never really graduated. I gotcha. kind of left after about four years and traveled for about a couple of years in Europe and Africa, oh. Mideast, where I got, I think, my best education. <laughs> I'm sure, man, that had to have been a fascinating time. It was a great time because people were really warm to Americans at that time. So you were able to find jobs easy enough. It was a very social environment. So you got a real sneak peek at people in all different areas of the world. So it yeah. really gave me a lot of an education into how to work with people. So you basically worked across the continents then? Yeah, you work for a week and party for a week and just keep on doing that. You know, As long as you find a job, you eat. <laughs> yeah, you got, you got a roof over your head and some food in your well, belly. Sometimes. <laughs> got some, yeah, right. Got some beer money and you're good to go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so how did you go from that to ending up in the hot tub industry? Well, you know, it was a transition. I came back to the States and, you know, and I realized that I needed to do something with my life. And that's when I got back into sales. I didn't get back into that. was my first major entry into sales. When I found out that I had some form of ability in sales, I really wanted to get into the bigger scheme of it. And that's where advertising became really an attraction for me. So doing the, the advertising and my forte was more writing and things of that nature and design. So I was able to at least make a living at it. Didn't know right. what I was doing that much. It was really kind of figured out as he went along. But I met a partner that I did advertising for, John Pinciaro. And uh, him and I became good buddies. And uh, I got tired of advertising. He got tired of retail. We decided to open a hot tub company. Why hot tubs? You know, hot tubs back in the early 80s was there weren't really any competitors in, in the Northeast sector. They were all coming out of California or Florida. It's still uh, more or less is. I mean, there are a couple of regional guys in that area, but there's not a lot of hot tubs produced on the East Coast. California is home of the hot tub and it's still where its mainstay is. I mean, there was a study that was done, I think it was in 92 or something like that. I forgot what year it was, but the uh, NSPI did a study and it was something like 60% of all hot tubs sold in the world were in one state. And, wow. Oh, I'm sorry, 32%. 32% okay. were, of all the hot tubs in the world were sold in one state, California. Wow. Yeah, interesting. I mean, they they govern the, uh, yeah. the sales. And when we opened up the opportunity here in the Northeast, we saw it as an opportunity. Was that the beginning of Thermospas then? That was the beginning of Thermospas. Did you guys always have the direct model or did you always sell directly to consumers? Did you ever have dabble in the dealer base? We did the traditional route. You know, we opened up a uh, manufacturing company here in Connecticut and decided to sell to dealers. That was how we started and that's how we began. And then we opened up a lot of the European market. 
but it wasn't an easy venue because a lot of people really just didn't understand the uh, how to ministry that in 83 like you said or at that time it's still relatively new and especially like you said it was kind of a california thing maybe it hadn't quite made its way all the way to the east coast yet <laughs> <laughs> well everyone thought they belonged inside of her inside the house in the bathroom oh, so yeah. you had to convince them that they were outside it was okay to use them out there so there mm-hmm. was a lot of education that went to play yeah that's interesting and the more education the more sales you made so it was worth doing it most manufacturers at this point have some kind of an arm that sells direct or brands that they sell direct. They have their main line and they kind of have their brand that they sell directly to consumers or through big box. It seems like everyone sort of has something that goes to all channels at this point. But I feel like Thermospas was really a pioneer as far as that goes and selling directly to consumers, right? Yeah, we made that decision in 95. I mean, we had the direct okay. to dealer operation and what transitioned was is that we were making a really high end spa. You know, we introduced the first hot tub with, you know, two pumps and multiple jets and the first hot tub with a lot of different things, but it cost money. So mm-hmm. our hot tubs were attractive to the dealers, but they weren't a high selling margin. Sure. Uh, so we were doing well for about eight, nine years, but we were not having great success. So I had a background with in-home selling. When I first started getting into sales, I was a tin man. So I was, I was selling roofing and siding. And I learned a lot from that. I bet, man. <laughs> I, 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 I do not envy those guys when they come over to our house. Like that just has got to be, that's tough. It's really one of the greatest jobs I've ever had. And it's, and it's the most fun job. I mean, you work like really about 20 hours a week. Right. But you've got to, it's, it's all commission bro- programmed. Yeah. And these guys are true salespeople. I mean, we had about 90 salespeople throughout the country and I had their most fun. And they're the most fun guys you'd ever meet with because they're the true salespeople. You walk in that home, you got two or three hours. If you walk out, you made nothing. If you got the deal, you got rich. You know, right. so you know, every day was a new new game. I mean, that had to have made waves at the time, I imagine, when you went from, you know, we're going to sell to dealers to, oh, no, we're going to sell directly to the consumers. I mean, there still is a lot of pushback in the industry saying that you can't sell hot tips that way. And, you know, they, you have to have a, a dealership and you got to have all of these things. But I mean, you guys, I mean, for a while there kind of proved them wrong, right? Well, you know, there was a pushback when you do something, though, and obviously the dealers that we had and we had a lot of good dealers and, and a lot of them were my friends mm-hmm. and when we said we're gonna you know, go into this direct sell business you know we did it the right way we introduced them to other manufacturers we bought any inventory that they had so we never left anybody in the lurch but we indicated it was the only way that we were really going to have any success you know the thing that i admire about thermospa was the fact that it was a lot of our advertising that helped grow the industry i mean we were spending five six million dollars a year on consumer advertising and most of our advertising wasn't designed around why thermospa was better it was really talking about the benefits of hot tubs right we did a lot of work with the arthritis foundation we did a lot of work with therapy and we coined the phrase we turn water into therapy and so we felt that we did a, a really good job of elevating the sales. And let's face it, we only converted a very, very small portion of our leads. A lot of the people that saw our ads responded and got our information. You know, they wanted to go to a dealer. We grew the dealer business in that fashion. That's great for the hot tub industry. Maybe not so great for thermospots. <laughs> well, it, it was because you figure out what you need for a percentage and then you design your advertising and your sales and your price points to it. Sure. So it, it really was great for thermospots because there was no question in regard to what your success was going to be each year. It was how much money you spent in advertising on the leads you got in and you knew in advance how you how well you're going to convert them. You kind of started in advertising and I feel like that has continued throughout your entire career, which we'll get to with 
the company that you own now, but even that has a big marketing component that you've been working on. So it's kind of interesting that that's never quite left your blood. Do you want to sell some magazine ads, Andy? I mean, it sounds like you could, you could <laughs> maybe, really. you could maybe do that for me. That'd be great. <laughs> well, we, we never, you know, somebody said, well, what business are you? And I never use the word manufacturing. It's more fun being a marketing company than it is being a manufacturer. And so eventually you sold Thermospots to Jacuzzi, right? Mm-hmm. In 2012. What did you do in between Thermospas time and the hot tub products time? Well, you know, when I had Thermospas prior to, you know, back in 2004, I started a company called Hot Tub Products. And we had oh. a lot of great domain names and patented a lot of products. And the vacuum seal was one of them. Right. And we sold it to Thermospas. So there were some things that I was doing that was really more geared for my, for my son's development into a new business. But when it came time to you know, the need to sell thermospot because of all the damage that was done. We suffered a lot from the standpoint of having problems with the hot tubs. That led me to really hold on to the hot tub products and hold on to my patents. And uh, that was a blessing. Since I've known you, I've always, until recently, always associated you with thermospas and then with the IHTA. I don't think I had any idea that hot tub products has been around for that long. Well, it really hasn't been around. It's been basically a quiet company. Right. Basically designed for uh, engineering new products, patenting new products, mm-hmm. bringing the spa ease chemical line. We're utilizing that to really go after the sales. Thermospas didn't garnish from the leads, you know, not sure. for hot tub sales, but for basically you know, the aftermarket, the chemicals and stuff. Yeah. Before we talk too much more about hot tub products, though, I do want to talk to you about the International Hot Tub Association because you're really the person who who got that going. And that is still a big player in the industry today, even though now it's under the PHTA umbrella. Um, you know, it's still a great group that works really hard to protect the hot tub industry. It started back in, I think, 2008 when I came up with the idea. And, okay. you know, I, I had been working on a lot of the organizations. I had been on the Hot Tub Council for a number mm-hmm. of years. Actually, Mike Dunn from uh, Watkins got me to join the Hot Tub Council. We did a lot of great work there. Yeah. And then I was on the board of directors for the NSPI. And it just became frustrating that, you know, we just didn't garnish any of the income or any of the money that we needed for really growing and protecting the industry. Yeah. And it was understandable. I mean, the swimming pool industry is is the, the gorilla. They're the automobile and we're the motorcycle. Right. So, you know, we don't get the money. Right. And so it got to the point where I saw that there's a lot of things that were going to occur and I was seeing happen that was going to be basically damaging to the industry. Mm-hmm. So I got the name IHDA, wrote the logo, funded it, and then I went out and begged everybody to join. <laughs> right. You know, I started in the industry in 2008. And when I came in, you know, the IHTA wasn't around yet. And it was all kind of about the hot tub council. And I kind of watched that, you know, I started right about the time that the Virginia Graham Baker Act and all of that was mm-hmm. going down and yeah. the Title 20 and everything that was happening as far as the energy efficiency standards. And so that was my entrance into the industry. Yeah. And so, so yeah, it was interesting watching that play out where you had the APSB at the time and the Hot Tub Council. And then kind of everyone seemed a little blindsided by these regulations that were coming down that were really pool regulations that the hot tub industry had been looped in when really it didn't apply to them at all. Not at all. No. Yeah. I mean, they were going to be uh, forcing us to put fences around every hot tub we, we installed. They were going to be fencing it, uh, forcing us to put in electrical bonding around every hot tub. I mean, it was going to get to the point where our industry was going to basically fail. I admire all the people that joined you know, early on. And I decided to go to the guys that were, you know, really some of the, the hallmarks in the industry, you know, Mike Dunn and Steve Hammock over at Watkins, uh, Cindy McGray at Spa Manufacturers down in Florida did a great 
job. I mean, right. she was head of the, the engineering committee, which was really the, the most important thing. Right. But we had Jerry Highland from Blue Corp. We had Howard from Fleetco. We had Michelle from Gecko. Uh, and right. I really went to all the guys and, and I asked them one thing you know, uh, that mandated their, their membership was you don't assign somebody which is normally what occurs when you have an organization that will assign somebody to be at that meeting mm-hmm. because time is of the essence. They don't have the time. Right. And I says, we don't want anybody assigned. It's got to be you or nobody. Mm-hmm. And you've got to take part in the meeting uh, once every month. And it'll take about an hour. And that's asking a lot mm-hmm. of CEOs, you know, that yeah. are very busy. And during the time of, you know, 2008, 2009, you're asking these guys to really devote time that they don't have. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough time. Absolutely. You know, people talk about the heyday of the industry and all I really have known until this point was the recession. They saw the need and it was an important thing that we did at an important time. And I give them a lot of credit. They're doing great things today. That organization still exists and is still doing great work. That engineering committee is incredibly active and it's amazing. I mean, I think they told me the other day that they like look over over a thousand different. Yeah things a year and investigate them and make sure that, and this isn't like, you know, obviously all federal legislation, this is like this guy in Connecticut wants to tell me I have to put a fence around it. How do you stop that? I mean, that's, we're getting down to like the individual municipalities and helping retailers protect their income and protect their businesses. It was critically important to a lot of dealers that they were going to be having some serious problems down in Dade County and Miami and a lot of other areas. They were going to be restricted in regard to what they could sell. And if it wasn't for that team, and when we first started it, we had a choice. We And it was a big discussion. You know, what should we be really focusing on? Should it be mm-hmm. marketing, raising the industry you know, with sales and putting together marketing campaigns? Right. We were doing protection. And we all decided that protection was the most important. Yeah. And at the time, that was probably a really tough call considering the state that the industry was in. I mean, it was a debate. Let me tell you. I'm sure it was. And I, I, and I think it's a debate that still comes up for them, but you needed sales then more than ever. And so I, it's really interesting that you guys decided actually, no, the most important thing right now is to make sure that the industry is protected long-term that was and that was the harder path it meant really getting involved with looking at everything that went across the table and yeah. there's a lot of crap that goes across the table it is so much work i am always continually impressed when i talk to folks at the ihta about the work that goes on behind the scenes i just feel like the rest of the industry has has no idea and the dealers have no idea unless it's you know something that you personally sent into them and said help people don't know the things that they have been saved from you know i was talking to mike dunn recently and he said I think that the industry wouldn't be reduced by half if it wasn't for the IHTA and the things that they've prevented from from happening. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of critical things that the dealers never hear about, Mm -hmm. which they should. And if you remember, when I was working with David, we focused in with Spa Retailer was our our magazine for the IHTA. Hey, we we still are. are. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's been a great relationship and we've always appreciated the support that we get from IHTA members and hopefully vice versa, trying to kind of spread the word and say, you know, hey, retailers and hey, industry, you should know what these guys are doing for you. And, you know, maybe you should contribute and help out too. <laughs> That's still Member- Membership is key. There's no question about that. Right, right. And they are currently about to launch a new membership drive specifically for the IHTA. So that's exciting. We'll see how that that's goes. Great. I feel like the IHTA is, if nothing else, is a great legacy for you and what you've done for the industry. And putting that together, according to Mike Dunn, you 
would maybe be half of what we are today. And so I think that you definitely have left your mark. So that's great. Right after we opened it up, I flew into the uh, uh, the Barcelona show in Spain when they had that in November. And I made appointments to meet with the different organizations there in Europe, the London organizations, Spanish organizations. There's each one of those countries, most of them have their own groups. Yeah. And they were very excited about what we were doing and wanted to be a part of it because they saw that, you know, we need to lead in that regard right? because what they do also affects us, affects us a great deal as well. Yeah. And I think the ISGA has partnerships with a bunch of the international yeah. organizations with BISHTA. Mm-hmm. That's the only one I can remember off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> there's a but, lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, but, and I think the the Canadian arm as well. And so, yeah. and yeah, I mean, and honestly, hot tubs are one of the few products that are still almost exclusively manufactured or, you know, headquartered in the United States. I mean, obviously there are some, you know, international companies making hot tubs, but still I feel like California is still leading the way as far as producing, producing hot tubs that are shipped all over the world. And so in a way it makes sense that we should also lead the way as far as protecting the industry at home and abroad. (laughs) (laughs) I think the international market has grown quite a bit from the standpoint of manufacturers, but also with sales. And we used to monitor all the sales that we saw in the market there. And that's a big growth opportunity for our industry because a lot of our suppliers, they support those manufacturers that do open up there. Right. It's a big benefit to our industry. Let's get to hot tub products. You mentioned VacuSeal and that being something that you guys made specifically for thermospas at the time. We originally made it for thermal spas because, you know, it, it was a product that we were going to be selling exclusively to thermal spa. So and it was a time when I was just really aggravated with the fact that, you know, there was no really good cover lift that I felt had the worth that we really could get behind and, and really feel a passion for. And so when I came up with the idea and I always kind of questioned, why are we flipping this cover over every time? It seems like double work. You know, why not open it in one motion? Mm-hmm. And I had a great engineer at the time, a fellow by the name of John Gardner. Him and I worked on this concept. He really kind of engineered the specifics of it. And we just had a lot of fun. For people who are not familiar with the vacuum seal, explain how it works. It's essentially the only hot tub lifting system that needs the cover and the lifter to work in unison. In other words, the cover is a unique cover where it opens up with a bottom hinge, not with a top hinge. We're all, oh, all okay. traditional covers. You have to flip them over. So it's kind of opening up into a, a triangle. Right. Well, not even a triangle. It just flips over. So oh, okay. you've, got a, okay. you've got a hot tub and it's basically called a bifold hot tub. It has two sides to it and a hinge, a vinyl hinge in the center. Okay. And so you would flip it over and then you would take it over so it wouldn't be as cumbersome. It wouldn't be so big. The thing that we changed that we patented was having a hinge on the bottom. So by having a hinge on the bottom, we could open it up in an internal fashion mm-hmm. as opposed to an external fashion. Okay. So by having it open up internally with a bottom hinge created a lot of benefits. And the one benefit was is that you didn't need two motions to open up the hot tub. It made it a lot easier to cover, a lot easier. But also the reason for the name VacuSeal, it gave us the opportunity to eliminate any heat loss. Mm. So by having the hinge on the bottom, we were able to seal it with the cover lifter giving a little bit of pressure on the cover so that no air would be lost, so you'd be saving energy dollars. And then we could turn it into a canopy. So one thing led into the other and just became a fun project. As I talk to people in the industry, we talk about the hot tub cover a lot. And I've talked to you about the hot tub cover a lot. And it seems to be a, you know, a quote unquote problem that people are, it just seems like whoever comes up with the best solution for the hot tub cover, as far as 
efficiency as far as getting it on and off is going to win because it's the one thing that if you have owned a hot tub in the past, it's probably, it's one of your biggest pain points other than maybe maintaining the water. It's the cover and you don't, you know, getting it on and off is cumbersome. It needs to be replaced, you know, fairly often. It's not the most attractive thing. And so there's, and it's, not a lot. I mean, there has been, I feel like in recent years, we have definitely seen some innovations that are really exciting, but it's, it's pretty much the same that it's been since the, I don't know, the eighties, the seventies, since the hot tub was first made. If you were to ask most of the consumers, and we've done a lot of surveys in regard to hot tub owners, what is the one thing that you dislike about your hot tub and removing or replacing the carburetor? You know, demographic profile is not 19 and and 20 year olds. It's, you know, people who are getting into their 50s, 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. And you're amazed how many people say, I flipped the cover over and just sit in half the hot tub. It's like a sin. You know, somebody buys this beautiful hot tub and they only get to use half of it. Or the person says, I can't get the cover up until my husband gets home or my wife gets home. I need two people to handle this. Mm-hmm. So we hear so many negativity and the hot tub covers get waterlogged so they become even more detrimental from a usage standpoint. Yeah. And all that does is create a negative response and our business is built on how people perceive the product they have to their friends and their neighbors. Mm-hmm. And if they speak negatively because of the cover, it doesn't help us generate more sales. Right now, obviously, hot tub sales are through the roof. Manufacturers are behind. Hot tubs are sold out through 2021. I mean, it's crazy. And we've we've never seen anything like this in the history of hot tubs. And it seems like now more than ever, we have a great opportunity to continue and make that experience amazing so that we get even more consumers based off of that. Or, you know, all of these people who are waiting for their hot tubs for months and months could have a negative experience. And we actually see a dip because they don't enjoy it as much as they could have. And it just seems like now is the time where dealers and manufacturers have a chance to sell these products that really help enhance the overall user experience of the hot tub and take away as many of those pain points as they can. And hopefully that boosts the industry into the next boom of sales. Once we kind of see this, whatever we want to call this influx start to go back to, you know, quote unquote, normal. It's really in the hands of the dealers, how the dealers treat this relationship with their new buying public. We've introduced a lot of young people to hot tubs where they never yes. a demographic that we never had before. Yeah. We're seeing much more 30 year olds buy hot tubs. We're seeing much more people with kids buy hot tubs. You know, we were, we did a lot of demographic studies. If they had kids, they were buying an above ground pool. Right. If kids moved out of the house. They were buying a hot tub. Right. I mean, that was a very continual type of a look. What we're seeing right now is that everyone's buying the hot tubs. Now, what happens with that is just like what you said. You can't rely upon the manufacturers. The manufacturers need to continue to protect the industry. We have tried, and I've been on so many meetings and part of marketing groups trying to get manufacturers together to put together a consensus and fund it together with a large marketing advertising campaign. Never worked, never will. You're just never going to get that cooperation. So If dealers are sitting back and complaining about why don't the manufacturers do this, you're going to complain until the time you go out of business. What needs to be done is the the dealers need to do more of a grassroots operation. And it needs to be something that really generates a positive feeling. There's two things that need to occur. Number one, we need to take care of the people who are buying all these hot tubs. We need to stay in contact with them and and let them know when it's coming, not give them misinformation. Don't tell them what you want. If they want to hear, tell them the right. truth. When they do deliver it, you need to really train them on how to use it. We're making a lot of money right now. 
Mm-hmm. Spend the money on making the customer happy. And right. It'll, it'll reward us dramatically. The other thing is getting the word out. I'm going to be launching a, an idea campaign in the, in the summer that'll be a grassroots campaign that'll be statewide program that I hope the dealers uh, support because it'll bring what we need to have brought to the industry and a positive awareness. You talked about Thermospa before. The thing that I had the greatest pride in Thermospa was that we spent most of our advertising dollars and most of our airtime talking about the benefits of hot tubs. We really focused on that. And that's what needs to be done. I mean, people need to realize, especially with the older generation, that I get on my hot tub every morning. I need to. You know? <laughs> I'm of that age now where it's a blessing. You know, right. and, yeah. and then I can jog, ride my bike and things of that nature. It's the stories that you need from your consumers that need to ring true. And then you're going to see sales grow better than you're seeing today. That sounds like a great idea. I'm interested in learning more about that for sure. But I do want to talk about the Convertilift because that is kind of the newest innovation to come out of Hot Tub Products. I love watching this thing. We've been talking about it for about a year or so now. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the Convertilift because it's pretty cool. It's something that when I came up with the vacuum seal, obviously the next immediate thing that you think about is how do I make this? And now that it works in one motion, yeah. You have the opportunity now to make it automated. We've sold a lot of vacuum seals to a lot of manufacturers, you know, to, to Watkins, to Artesian, PBC, a lot of them. And everyone would say, can you do this with a push button? And it's what I want to do. You wanted to do it in a fashion that A, was going to be reliable. B, was going to be safe. It was going to have the ETL listing and the UL listing. So there's a lot of things, a lot of hoops you had to jump through. We've been working on it now for probably two years. We exposed it in New Orleans and Toronto and Canada. We in London in uh, Las Vegas, Atlantic City, the reception was like over the top. You know? yeah. It's like it's not like you know. I'm thinking about it. When can I get it? And yeah. and we like that, but we didn't want to launch it until it was really truly ready. Mm-hmm. And now it's ready. Now it's, we're going to start shipping them out on February one. So the way it works, obviously, it works with the vacuum seal, and you push a button, and the cover opens. It works with electronic linear actuators, which basically okay. are the same type of products that are used a lot of other products that you know the the hatch door in the back of your car. Mm. doors on yachts that open up engine rooms, things of that nature that are essentially bulletproof and they can open up heavy objects with ease and they actually offer a lot of different protections. So it's finding the right ones. And what's nice about it is, is that it works on, you can convert it. That's why it's called a converter lift. Okay. So you could have a vacuum seal and we can go to the thousands of people who own vacuum seals and now offer to them an opportunity where they can now automate it. We even have a traditional lifter spies 200 which works on traditional covers which we can install it on that as well only difference is you have to flip the cover over but and what's nice and then then you hit the button and it opens what's nice is that you can convert the 200 into a vacuum seal and you can convert the vacuum seal into a converter lift so dealers can show it a variety of ways and it doesn't break the bank what does it take for the dealer as far as converting one that's already been sold is that complicated is it something that just any of their technicians can do and that was another hurdle that we had to go through how do you design this thing so that it's basically not going to be a service nightmare installation nightmare if you have a vacuum seal system you can put the converter lift on it and it would take about 35 minutes for one person oh that's nice what we did is we designed all of the equipment to be re- easily removable where there's a connection points right at that point where the key switch is, where the actuator is. Okay. The other benefit to that, if an actuator goes bad or a key switch or anything goes bad, there's about four or five major components. 
each one of those components can be taken off in a matter of 10 seconds. Yeah, so if something does fail, like they're not buying an entire new system, they can actually get right. the part. It's designed so the consumer can take it off. That's great. You said you're starting to ship in February. That's what we're promising right now. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it is all done. It's all packaged. The only thing that's left right now that we're working on is the installation manual. We're doing a video manual that we just shot last week. So there's a lot of editing involved. We want to make it so that somebody could watch a video and not have to think or not have a problem. I mean, I, I know it's early, early days, but how has the reaction been? I mean, are, are you are you also sold out through uh, 2021? <laughs> <laughs> we stopped taking orders at the show. We had oh, you did? literally, it wouldn't have been fair. And we told people and we even said to them, look, if you want your money back, it's coming out six months later than we anticipated. Everybody said, no, I just want it as fast as I can get it. And it was all really big players in the industry that were coming on board because they saw the worth to it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we're excited about it. We've got a, a yeah. great dealer base. Um, we're going to be taking the aggressive posture of bringing it to both dealers as well as to OEMs so that OEMs can make it available. From our vantage point, obviously, it's, it is greed because we want to sell a lot. But on the other side, it's we're going to, I think, improve the hot tub experience for people. It's kind of the one, one of the big pain points in owning a hot tub. You know, I've probably told this story on the podcast before, but growing up, we had a hot tub. It was sunk into a deck and we didn't have a cover lift. And so you had to haul that thing off. And then we didn't really have a place to store it. So it just sat like leaned against the deck above the hot tub. That hot tub cover has like fell on top of my head more than one time and it didn't I mean and that hurt can you imagine having a giant hot tub cover just bang right on your head it was awful when we had people over we'd actually like drag it away so that wasn't a possibility but more than once that thing fell on top of my head and you know when I started working in the hot tub industry I thought about that often and just like what dealer sold that to my parents and were like hey just leave it there it'll be fine no no like who did that like hot like hot tub lifts and like were invented at the time there was no reason for like concussions to have happened it happened to me I, our first hot tub had a house and we did the dumb thing that everybody did back in the 80s was sunk it into the deck so yeah you know, which is the worst way to install a hot tub 100 cover, cover was up against it was a nice afternoon here i am sitting in the hot tub drinking a glass of scotch that i shouldn't have been drinking and my wife and kids come walking back with their groceries but they went to the store and i had just literally 10 seconds before they came I swear to god the hot tub cover came down from the wind hit me on the head literally knocked me out <gasps> i'm grappling at the deck trying to get out kids are thinking that i'm fooling around because I, I kid around a lot yeah and my wife is like saying we just stop it we gotta get we gotta get well, no. you know, you're like trying not to drown in your hot tub because the cover knocked you out that's insane it, that is insane every hot tub should come with a, pro- a proper lifter and there's a uh, lot of good lifters out there yes we didn't need the converter lift to solve that particular problem but no. it certainly would have <laughs> uh, you should see the people that we've installed because we, we've got it out in the field quite a bit here in Connecticut. Sure. We, we wanted to test the hell out of it and uh, so we call the people how do you like it it's snowing outside it's freezing outside is it working you know and and they laugh they go this is insane i sit in the house i just hit the button by the time i walk to the hot tub i'm in it i get out i turn the key and i close it and that's so nice incredible oh that's so nice because that's the other thing you know as i i grew up in north dakota and so you know, having a hot tub. North was, Dakota. Uh, North Dakota. Wow. And yeah, I know. And so, and we would use the hot tub mostly in in the winter. And so, sure. but it was a multi-step process because it was freezing, obviously, sometimes well below freezing. And so you would run out there and get the hot tub 
open, then you'd go back inside and warm up and then you'd go back out there and then you'd be in the hot tub as long as you could, but the heat loss was extreme. And yeah. so you, you only had so much time to be in the hot tub and then it was, you know, a race to get it closed up and back inside before you were freezing cold again. And it was, it's a I job. mean, yeah. yes, it was, it, that would be, that sounds actually relaxing. Whereas I feel like our hot tub was maybe not as relaxing as it could have been. <laughs> Now we're having a lot of fun with the consumers and, the, and like, you know, all of them are saying, look, if you need any testimonials, just give me a call. You want to come over? <laughs> Relax. We've got it covered. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I'm really excited to see it, you know, start to hit the market in full force and, and see how people react to it and how that all goes. But, you know, I laugh because, you know, here we have you on, you've got plenty of products and things that we can talk about, but you're also out there marketing. And I feel like that's your true love. <laughs> Somebody said to me, was, how long are you going to continue to do this? And I'm, I'm 71 years old now, so I've gotten you know, at that time. Yeah. But I, just, I love what I'm doing. The yeah. time that I stop doing what I'm doing is when, when it stops becoming fun. I don't like managing businesses. I like growing them. Mm. So when you're growing it, you have all the opportunities from a standpoint of, of designing what you want to design, coming up with new ideas and bringing in the marketing. Yeah, that's where the passion is and that's right. where the fun is. I mean, you have this whole e-commerce setup for dealers. And so if they want to sell accessories online, you kind of have a turnkey program where they can basically just plug it into their website and are ready to go. I mean, so that's a, how another whole side of your business that we haven't talked about. And we've done articles about it in the magazine before. And the dealers who are using it just seem to really, really love it. I mean, it's almost no work for them. And suddenly they yeah. got this extra income stream. Dealers are, are gravitating to that. We've got hundreds of people who are members now. And what we've done is we've kind of taken a slow path with it because we, my son and I designed the e-commerce program because, you know, we had an e-commerce program at Thermospa. So that was really a blessing for us there and it helped create a lot of sales. And we saw that e-commerce was really the development of the aftermarket business for dealers. But for them to get into it, it's a burden. It's a, it was prohibited. It's a, it takes too long to really devote yeah. the time into it. So we came up with this concept of a multi-site program. And about eight months ago, we decided to really reinvent it. And when you see the new site, we're really excited about it. That's mm. actually going to be launching in end of February, early March. Oh, that's exciting. We're taking it to the place where dealers now have a much more interactive role in it. They can pull up their own reporting, they, but it's also a lot cooler. It's really a, a very sweet design. You know, yeah, really a very, yeah. uh, very consumer attractive. I'm curious. The one was very basic. Did you have a lot of people reaching out to you about that once COVID hit? Because, you know, we found that the dealers who had no e-commerce or few capabilities as far as communicating with their customers from their website at the time were really scrambling when they had to close because how are they going to you know, make any money if they couldn't have yeah. their doors open and they didn't have any way for people to buy or look at their products online. We had a lot of dealers sign up during this whole COVID period, no question sure. about it. But even more importantly, we had a lot of dealers that were already signed up, but weren't taking an aggressive posture on marketing. Sure. You, know, you know, having having a great e-commerce site is one thing. If you don't tell anybody about it, it really doesn't serve a purpose. They came to us and said, we need to now use some of your marketing tools to really start exposing right. it to our database. Which you guys and always we, had available, right? Yeah, we always had available, but we've, we've been, you know, enriching it as well. But we've seen dealers go from, you know, doing a thousand dollars a month to now doing 10, 15, $20,000 a month. I think it's the biggest blessing is for service organizations. Mm -hmm. You know, they're out seeing how many people every, every week with a number of vans and they don't sell things like covers and chemicals and filters right. and all the other 
Yeah. Now they're doing it. That's great because they don't have to stock it. They don't have to have inventory. You know, they don't have to have a shipping person who's back there messing with all of that. It's, it's basically like, here's my customer base. If you want to buy this, you can definitely get it for me. And it gives them that opportunity to upsell when they're out there without any of the back-end stuff that they are not prepared to do. Yeah, they're usually, there's very often what's happening is that they're in the field talking to the customer and they write on their phone or their tablet, they're putting an order in for a series of chemicals, filters, attachments, mm -hmm. lifters, whatever the case might be, and it's being shipped out that day or the next day. It really brings them into the game and makes them competitive with the Amazons out there. So this other marketing program that you're talking about, though, that is not part of the e-commerce, right? Is this a new thing? That's going to be something different. So you've been in the industry for a long time. I mean, you've got a great perspective from all the things that you've done over your career as far as kind of where the industry has been, where it's at now, and probably where you think it might go from here. So I'm curious, you know, I mean, it's been the strangest year anyone has experienced, not just in our industry, but I feel like as a world. So where do you think that we go from these COVID times? What do you think it looks like for the hot tub industry in the future? I think the hot tub industry has a very good future. I think the hot tub people, when they start seeing the benefits to the hot tub and they start buying it and they start buying it, you know, in their earlier years, as we talked about before in right. their 30s, the biggest thing that I used to say at the groups, and Mike has heard me say this, and a lot of the guys in the group have heard me say this, we need to know what percentage of people who buy a hot tub today are people who are buying their second, third, fourth hot tub, and how many people are buying their first. You don't want your people who are buying the, another hot tub to be too high of a ratio. That means you're not bringing new people into the business. And you don't want the newbies being too high of a ratio. That means you're not taking care of your customer and having them buy a second hot tub. So you need to really control that ratio and really view it all the time. We don't do that well enough. We need to do that better. I think that what this is doing is bringing in a lot of newbies. I think that if anybody was doing studies, and I used to do them a lot with Thermospa, we always came out with a number of about 32% that were buying hot tub, who were buying another hot tub, wasn't their first. Okay. And we saw that number gradually go up. Mm -hmm. Now the newbie number is going up dramatically. That's a great thing for our industry. And because people do buy a second car, they do buy a second boat, they do buy a second motorcycle, and they do buy second hot tubs. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're giving them something that's you know, serving a better purpose, people move, leave their hot tubs where they are. So getting those more newbies into the game gives us a tremendous opportunity. How we treat them, as I said before, is going to be the deciding factor in regard to how well the industry goes. Yeah. And I think there needs to be a lot of emphasis by manufacturers giving support to their dealers. That's something that manufacturers can do. You know, work with their dealers, you know, make sure that they've got marketing support training for how to use chemicals, how to take care of the hot tub, servicing mm -hmm. it, making sure you're taking your warranties. These are things that sometimes fall through the cracks when all of a sudden somebody goes from selling 100 spas to selling 300 spas. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I feel like the customer service issues right now are something that dealers have never experienced. Yeah. You know, just the communication they have to have with their buyers is more than it's ever been. The opportunities are boundless right now, but the opportunity to screw it up is also, yeah. I, I feel like I really high <laughs> just because, you know, the, the chances that you get someone in the wrong hot tub right now because there aren't that many available is a big issue. You know, not communicating well and giving people a bad taste in their mouth as far as, you know, your store because you told them it would be there in eight weeks and it ended up being eight months or whatever. 
Yes. And being so busy that you, you know, don't take the time to do some of the follow-up and some of the teaching and training that you would typically do. I mean, there's people are so busy right now that the chances that some of these things that they normally would knock out of the park can go wrong is really, really high. And so the opportunity is so great and it's very exciting, but it's also a little scary because the opportunity to screw up is also really high too. <laughs> you have to give them instructional support in regard to how to take care of the hot, especially the chemicals. And, you know, dealers traditionally would do that fairly well most of them, not all of them, but a lot of them do. Now they're just feeling, feeling very encumbered with what's happening. They don't have the staff to support it. But the one thing that you can't fall short on is we're producing a really cool video on how to maintain and care for your, your chemicals and really making it. And it's going to be a menu driven thing. So you can, you know, you can find out anything that you want in a matter of seconds, but it's something that is going to be, I think, extremely important giving them, not selling them on your product, but giving them the support of understanding not just how to take care of the, of the spot with the chemicals, but why what occurs occurs. You're not just uh, calling out the problem. You're actually working to to help fix the problem. Hopefully sell some stuff in the process too, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's always, there's always that side of it. <laughs> if there wasn't, it wouldn't be such a such an incentive to do it. You know, that's right. That's right. So are you prepared to answer the Spa Retailer 5? We ask all of our guests the same five questions to end our interviews. I didn't read that part, but you can go right ahead. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> that's even better. What was your first spa sale first product you sold your first order you know the customer what you sold them what do you what do you remember about your first hot tub industry sale my first hot tub industry sale was a very strange one and uh, you may even know the name we had just finished opening up the plant in connecticut for manufacturing hot tubs okay and we hadn't hadn't sold one yet and, and my job was to go out there and open up the dealers obviously i'm going to go to the connecticut dealers first and i went into a company called galvin pools and you might know the name galvin that roger galvin had become uh, the president of nspi and he had become a friend of mine later yeah. on but i walked in his door and he had like six spas on the floor i walked up to him and i said look at you i got great news for you and all the spas he was buying from were from california sure and if you're you don't remember because you're way too young but there was this spa called mr spa which is really kind of a low-end spa it didn't work okay. but it was it had its issues so he had these six spas on the floor and i said we just opened up a plant for manufacturing right here in connecticut he looks at me and he goes get that out of here and i went what i go look i've been thrown out of a lot of places but i, I just gotta know he goes andy see my nice nice guy just get out of here i don't want to talk to you so i said look i just need to know what is the problem you got six spas on the floor are they that great that you don't want to talk no i hate them and i said what do you mean you hate them he says i i just hate them i said well you can't sell them he goes no i can sell them and make good money you can sell them you can make good money but you hate them Come on, help me out. I just right. started this industry. He goes, I hate them because we don't deliver hot tubs. I'm a pool guy. Got we it. don't know anything about delivering the spa. Service is blind. My guys don't know how to service it. This is like, you know, 1983, 82, whatever yeah. it was. And I, I said, well, thanks a lot, Roger. <laughs> I just spent a lot of money opening up this plant. So I went back uh, and I said to my partner, we got a problem. Thought about it. And then I, I came up with an idea and I walked back and, and Roger remembers this. He walked back to the store and I said to him, look, you remember me? He goes, yeah, the last I threw you out. I mean, that was, that was three, four weeks ago. I got, I want you to buy six hot tubs from me. He goes, Andy, I'm not buying six hot tubs from you. I said, well, you're going to at least buy three. I guarantee you that. He goes, just please leave. I'm real at the time. So I took $20 out and I put $20 on the table. I go, give me three minutes. And if I don't, no, give me two. No, give me one minute. And if you don't buy three hot tubs at least for me and after one minute, then you keep the 20 and never see me again. Quickest 20 yellow mech. All right, I'm watching. 
pulls out his watch. He goes, all right, go. I go, look, you hate delivering. You're never going to deliver again. You're going to take my hot tub. You're going to nail it to the floor. Every hot tub we will deliver for you. Here's, the, here's what we're going to charge. So we're going to handle all your delivery. Here's an 800 number back then. Emails didn't exist. Right. Sounds yeah. strange yeah. to you. Here's an 800 number. We're going to do the service. I'm going to charge you $95. And we're going to service your hot tub for the first year, cover all the warranty. And then we'll make money on it. So you never have to service again. You never have to deliver again. And I'm going to give you the hot tub that you want with the colors that you want where you want them. And he looks at me, you son of a bitch, take the $20. <laughs> you weren't just selling hot tubs at that point. You were selling like a whole... Uh... Delivery and service program. Oh, man. And we did that. And that's how we grew thermal spas yeah. in the first five years. Oh, we went everywhere through all of New England, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. And we had delivery and service people. And that's basically what we were doing is doing their wow. delivery and service. So what was your first real job? I worked just about everything and anything. I mean, I, I my first real job was probably a paper route. And I had a really good side. I, I came from a, you know, a family that was a working family. We didn't have a lot of money. I worked because I wanted toys. So I had a great paper route. I got into doing everything from being a soda jerk to whatever, you name it, I did. Yeah, I don't think we've had a paper route as the first real job on the podcast yet. Okay, so what would you say is the worst product or idea or the biggest <laughs> flop you've ever had in your business? I invested in a company that had a really interesting product because I always wanted to, we, you were never able to check your pH and monitor the pH. Everything was with test strips and whatnot. Sure. And a company came out with this unique system it was called bioquest and they had had it out there but it needed some polishing and they asked me to join and i invested quite a bit of money on it and we came out with this product and it worked it was great and it failed like you wouldn't believe and really the reason, why, the reason why it failed was it wasn't consumer friendly so it, it was a product that failed because of the fact that it was not consumer friendly on the flip side what was what's the best idea or product or game changer that you've ever brought to your business it's hard to say because there's really three things i think that changing the direction of thermal spas from being a direct to the dealer to a, a direct to the consumer that was monumental for us because it took a business that was doing three four five million dollars and in a couple of years we brought it to 65 million dollars so i mean it, it was fun it was exciting it had a lot of legs to it so that was a marketing thing that i really enjoyed product thing, I think it's got to be the converter lift. I mean, because how can you not really love the converter lift and the vacuum seal? And I have a passion for those. Finally, this is the last one. You've done good without reading ahead. What is your favorite book or television show, podcast, movie? What have you been, what have you been doing to entertain yourself throughout the pandemic? I love old films. I love the, the Thin Man series. If you haven't watched it, there are this couple that are, that are married that and he's a detective and the late 40s, were, I think, one of the best eras of television production. The writing was incredible. It was just, they, they really quipped with each other just so well. Really? really in intelligent writing. They did nothing but drink a lot of martinis and have a lot of fun and had parties. <laughs> and they became actually best of friends. And I read a little bit about it. Them and their spouses, the four of them were actually pretty close. But you could see that they really liked each other and they just fed off each other. They had a, a movie that did well, and then it, it did so well, it turned into a series. Probably the most popular series back in the 40s or one of them. I put it on my list, but yeah, that's that's a new one for me. For a book, my son had given me this book, Hamilton. He wanted to go see the play. Oh, right. And it's a it's a long read, but it was the most incredible. I mean, I'm a history buff. Yeah. And so I love history. And it gave you such an insight into the, the fact that it was razor thin how we 
actually started this country and how easily it almost didn't become a country. And the the risks that these guys back in the days of Adams and Jefferson and all those yeah. things had, had taken. And I think that one of the things that astounded me in the book was I was reading this one chapter that was about the yellow fever epidemic. I started reading this page and all of a sudden I stopped and I said, I said to my wife, I, I'm going to read you this page. It was 1792 with right when Washington was president. And they started having this thing. People are now dying instantly. They're not shaking hands. They're walking in the middle of the street so they don't pass each other. They're beginning to soak their masks with, with vinegar and putting it in their face. We're losing so many people. Everyone is dying. We've never seen such a pandemic. It could have been written for today. And this book yeah. was written 25 years ago. And they had a death rate, obviously, mostly Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. But Philly at the time had about 50,000 people and 5,000 died in three months. Wow. I mean, so that was even more major than we have today from yeah. a percentage standpoint. But astounding me was that we just we read history we don't sometimes absorb it we don't learn from it often it's so easy to just bypass but it, it happened again in the 1918s and things of that nature with the spanish flu the event that we're going through today we look at it as this monumental horrific event which it certainly is but without without question but it's not something this country hasn't gone through on a number of occasions we just need to be more prepared. I think that, you know, we get arrogant, you know, we've got all this technology and, and medical advances and you kind of think that, oh, well, that it can't happen to us, you know, like we've got, yeah. we've got all this stuff. And I'm sure that that's what they thought at that time as well. It's a good lesson about how little control we have over some things. And yeah, the importance of being prepared, even for the things that seem like our one in a million would never, would never happen. I mean, yeah. here we are. You couldn't have written this chapter two years ago. No, I feel like there's still a part of me that just cannot compute what we have been yeah. going through and just doesn't, has not figured out how to, I don't want to say deal with because we're all dealing with it, but just, it's still mind blowing to me. I feel the worst for the kids. You know, they, they, the kids are just, they're losing it. The teachers are doing a fabulous job. How can you really teach the same level as if you had them in a proper environment? They're losing education. And even, you know, my, my little one-year-old, you know, I took her to her appointment the other day to get her shots and just talking to the doctor about socialization. I mean, this is a baby that has not been around people. Like she goes to our house, she goes to her grandparents' house, she sees her babysitter and that's it. And, you know, I take her out on the rare occasions, you know, to the doctor's office or to a friend's house and she's completely overwhelmed. It's crazy. If it had been normal, she would be going to restaurants and going to being in church nursery or, yeah. you know, going to friends' houses and she's had none of that. And her only interaction with people outside of us are people with masks on. When we get to the point where I can't actually take her and leave her places, it's going to be pretty traumatic for everybody. I think people don't recognize the, the importance of kids need kids. They, yes. they need interaction. They, they need socialization. I mean, those are the things that are, that are paramount to actually bringing somebody up in an environment that they're going to feel comfortable and not, you know, intimidated. I have a small comfort that my kid won't be the only weird one. You're going to find kids are resilient, you know. Yes. You give them a couple of months and all of a sudden that's all, that's all going on and I'm playing ball. I'm going out there and, and shooting hoops. Right. They will come out of this. We just yes. hope that it comes out sooner. Pediatrician said the same thing. So, you know, but as the parents, you got to worry about everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I worry about my dog. Come on now. <laughs> well, Andy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been fun as always. It's nice to talk to you and thank you so much. This has been, this has been great. Well, thanks for inviting me. Spa Retailer Podcast is a production of Spa Retailer Magazine. 
Let us know what you think by leaving a review or emailing us at podcast at sparetailor.com. Thanks for listening. My name is Abby. Um, you know, like everyone should have a hot tub in like a pool. Like they're so like so fun. Uh, I'm the new worker in the hot tub industry, so don't get a little cut up that I'm only a five year old. You probably you could probably sell a lot of hot tubs. What do you think? Um, yeah, I could. <laughs> what, would you, what would you tell people about hot tubs when they came in to want to buy one? I would tell them that they're super relaxing. <laughs> Good thing to tell them. What else do you think a hot tub would do? A hot tub would actually give you more heat. More heat? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that hot tub heat, everyone. Bye.